All right. Welcome back to Talk Soups and CEOs for this week's conversation. Lucky number 17, episode 17 of season two. Great to have two friends and just excellent educators, thought leaders with me. We're going to talk a little bit about safety, suicide prevention, and SEL in school districts. I've got with me Mr. Stephen Murley, who's the superintendent of Green Bay School District in Wisconsin. Good morning, Steve. Good morning. Good to see you. And our friend, IEI advisory board member and regional vice president at Gaggle, Gretchen Thompson. Hi, Gretchen. Good morning. How are you all? Good. Gretchen, when you were last, we were just talking before we used to hit record. When Gretchen was last on the podcast, it was almost a year ago, and it was sort of like, what the hell is going to happen to all of us? <laughs> and she was just teasing me because she asked me how I was doing. I said, oh, I got too many meetings. And she said, oh, yeah, remember a year ago when you were desperate to, for meetings? And that was a helpful reminder of where we've been and where we're going. You all have had a very busy year, obviously, in the district, Steve, and at Gaggle uh, at a time when kids have been at their most vulnerable and so we want to talk about that a little bit. But I want to start off by putting this into the context of something I'm I'm coming in hot today. I've been reading all week uh, since Monday, a social media post that posted a report, you know, really, in, in my opinion, revisiting, recycling this, I think, really tired and trite trope that school districts waste money on technology and are not aware of the outcomes and they spend so much money on all of this technology and do, we don't know if it works, blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, at the same time, we're also seeing school districts across the country decide to get rid of their standardized assessments because they're in a pandemic and they can't handle dealing with the, with the standardized assessments. So those are supposed to be the things we're supposed to use to measure whether all this stuff's working, but we're throwing all that out right now because we're in an emergency. So this whole thing just seems like an artificial argument that people have to gin up as part of some grievance campaign against school districts, against public schools, against teachers. It frustrates me especially when I work with people like you who know exactly where all your dollars are being spent. By the way, this is public information. Anyone can find out where school districts spend their money. And literally, Gretchen, your technology is involved in saving kids' lives. We know why it's there. We know that it works. So let's talk about how important your work has been this year. And maybe let's share some stories about how Gaggle has helped kids and families over the, over the course of this year. Sure. No, absolutely. And and definitely I want Steve to take this one because he's actually in the district and talk about, you know, what has happened over the last year, especially with him being in a new district, be able to give us some good feedback on that. I mean, I can speak to a lot of what you just discussed, Doug, which is the back and forth on is technology working? Are these standardized tests working? I mean, I think really what it comes down to um, is how are you actually able to gather data from your kids on how they're feeling? If kids do not feel safe, they do not learn. Right. And so when you look at the technology integration, you look at testing and making sure that our kids are moving forward um, in their growth educationally. You have to think about how they're moving forward in their growth educationally from mental health as well. And so for me, you know, one of the big things that we really try to work towards, especially with us having AI um, and us having live people being able to put their eyes to paper as far as how these kids are communicating is identifying multiple departments within a district. It's, it's not just technology and it's not just coming top down from the superintendent. It's really multiple departments involved and thinking from an instructional technology, SEL, you know, student services standpoint, as well as safety to make sure that everybody is communicating and doing the best that they can to keep their kids in a safe environment and have a pulse on how they're doing, how they're feeling. 
um, where there might be gaps. And especially when you look at the fact that just from a gaggle standpoint this past year, we looked at you know what happened pre and post pandemic and quite honestly, where we might have seen violence towards others, these kids saying, hey, I'm going to jump you after school. Hey, let's get in a fight in the cafeteria, right? They're communicating that and we can see that. What we saw different with the pandemic is the 78% increase in domestic abuse um, and, and that violence in their homes because nobody was able to escape, right? Nobody was able to go out and about and socialize and they're frustrated with their own tribe, essentially. And, and we're seeing a lot of danger there. So that was something that we picked up on. You know, when you're talking about share some stories, share some data, that was one that certainly uh, is an eye opener for, for us. Um, another one is the 21% increase in child pornography distribution, whether that was predator trafficking, as well as children simply sharing selfies because they have a fear of missing out. They're not seeing their friends and they want to make sure that they're at top of mind. And no, we don't want them to do that. But the fact is they are sharing that information. And that's where we saw a huge increase during the pandemic. So those are some of the things that I can point out as, as key things where we saw a difference when you talk about a year ago compared to now. Certainly, I want to pass it over to Steve and have him talk a little bit about what he's seeing you know, in the district right now and, and what they're doing to really manage all departments and make sure that everybody is, is feeling safe as well as our staff too, Steve. I mean, that's something to talk about too. So there's a ton to unpack there, uh, going back to uh, to Doug's first comments. Uh, so let me just offer a couple of things. First of all, from the big picture, you know, one of the things that that uh, uh, I was going to say, kids, um, young adults, as they're going through their teacher certification process, they spend a lot of time uh, initially focusing on Maslow's hierarchy, right? And and they spend a lot of time at the bottom of Maslow's hierarchy because if kids aren't clothed and fed. And if they don't have a roof over their head, and if they don't have that sense of safety and security that Gretchen talked about, it's very, very difficult to focus on the higher order thinking components of Maslow's hierarchy. So it's one of the reasons that schools feed kids breakfast. So they get a good start to the day. They feed them lunch. We often send them home with food at the end of the night because we want to make sure that they've got something to eat when they get home, right? So we have crossing guards. We have playground monitors, right, to, to keep an eye on kids while they're out uh, in their recreational time. So these are just all aspects of those components of school that are directly tied to Maslow's hierarchy of needs and focused on that bottom safety and security. So now back to your comments at the beginning, Doug. You know, when you talk about technology, I think there's a, a misnomer with some people, perhaps, in that in the the comments that you were talking about uh, that are coming out right now. That that because we were online, that that suddenly there's a ubiquitous presence of technology in schools. That's inaccurate. Technology has been present in schools for decades now, and it continues to evolve. And just like any other tool, technology is a tool. Just like any other tool, it allows the staff that work for school districts to do their jobs better. It allows teachers to teach better. It allows principals to be better administrators. It allows counselors and social workers and psychologists to do a better job when they're working with their kids. And so, you know, to say, I don't know, let's be Luddites and get rid of the technology in school, that would take away an enormous number of tools that make education better for children. So in this particular instance that we're talking about today, we know that kids are online all the time. They're online when they are out of school constantly and in school because of the way education is evolving. And I think evolving in a, in a very positive manner, kids are by necessity 
online. They're online individually. They're online collaboratively, working with their peers, just like we will expect them to do when they graduate and move into the world of work. But the difference between them and us is they don't have the same level of executive processing skills that we have. And so as teachers, when we are in the classroom with them, we serve as that on-site monitor. So if a child says something inappropriate to another child, we intercede. We help them learn from that. We help them grow from that. We help them hopefully put themselves in a position where they don't do that again. The problem with the online environment is that often those things happen out of sight of school staff. When they happen out of sight of school staff, you lose the teachable moment. And so one of the things that Gaggle does for us is it allows us to step back into that teachable moment. So if something is happening, we are made aware of it, and then we can provide whatever resource the child needs to move forward from whatever that is. So Gretchen talked about bullying, right? So bullying is present on the playground, it's present online, right? We know how to deal with it when it happens on the playground. Um, we are learning how to deal with it when it happens online, but it has to be visible for us to do something about it. And I think that that's one of the things that, that uh, Gaggle does for us. So, you know, she mentioned we're going through implementation. They were in the process of that before I arrived in Green Bay in July. Um, so I kind of came in midstream as they were going through the whole uh, RFP process and the uh, award process, et cetera, and then the implementation. And, you know, one of the things that, uh, that we're working through on our end is the same kind of thing that we work through on the playground. How tight's the filter? How many things do we want to know about? What are we going to do when we find out about those things? And, and so I think that if the, the critics of technology are framing it in the wrong way, because I would ask, are they also critical of textbooks and overhead projectors and film strips and things like that? Because those two are just tools that educators use working with kids. Well, an interesting lot, just to piggyback you, Steve, and some of the things that you said, the thing that really opened my eyes in this past year, too, having been in education, having been on site and recognizing when a child is in trouble, as you're putting eye to eye, right? A teacher, a principal, an administrator, especially you, Steve, you walk around, you see your kiddos, you'll, you'll start to identify those kids that just don't seem like they're doing so good or aren't as peppy with you when they see you in the hall and you, you do a drop in, you know, right? And so that was the one thing that we were hearing from these students, you know, I'm very sad today. I haven't taken a shower in days. I'm bummed because I haven't seen my friends. That's something that if we were seeing them in school, we recognize they haven't showered in days. We recognize the fact that they're in the same clothes. We can say to a nurse, you know, it seems like Johnny's gone down to your office multiple times for a headache or a stomach. Stomach ache, those are indicators of a child just not feeling healthy. And I don't mean necessarily sick, sick. Repeat, not healthy sadness, depression, things that we start to pinpoint. And we can, like Steve said, it's a heads up. It's a teachable moment. And even good digital citizenship, sometimes on the other end of things, which might be that distribution of inappropriate images, right? It goes the other way too, which could make a child depressed, which could make a child retreat. And so Steve, that was really great feedback. I just wanted to piggyback you on that too, with that eye to eye that we're not seeing. Doesn't your algorithm, Gretchen, essentially look for strings of text that basically replace that kind of teacher intuition of the eye to eye? Is that more or less what happens? Yeah, 100%. I mean, it's not just the algorithm, you know, so we're going to be looking at um, words 
identifying words. And, you know, 22 years of machine learning, it's super, super advanced. And so the words that we identify with, it might not be, you know, kill or bomb or suicide. It might be love. It might be funeral. It might be sad. Um, it's very advanced. And so, you know, our machine learning algorithm is going to flag that word or it's going to flag for skin. So again, if it flags for skin, it might not be, you know, pornography or cartoon anime or child pornography. It might simply be two friends that took a picture of themselves eating an ice cream cone, but they're in shorts. It might identify those legs and we know it's not a big deal, right? We're going to dismiss it and, it and we look at it as a false positive. But in the extreme level with that flag, you know, it's going to a live person. So it's going to our safety team with over a hundred people that know what they're doing and are able to put their eyes to paper, eyes to images and identify whether or not that is a false positive, not a big deal. Or in fact, based on content and context of that word that was flagged, what does that entire document look like to be able to identify if that child is in big trouble or if it's something that's simply an essay? Maybe it's an essay of a child talking about, you know, suicide. That doesn't mean that it's not gonna go dark. That doesn't mean that that child might not at the end of their essay share some things that might indicate that they are having some suicidal thoughts as well. But that's where we're gonna look at it. And that's where our team is unbelievable as far as being able to put eyes to paper, eyes to image and identify whether or not it is concerning or not, right? And so that's what we do. And that's what we do well in order to be able to help our districts. And then what does it look like on the other, on the district end, Steve? What, what do you guys see at the district once once the, the Gaggle team has reviewed it and said, this looks like something you should look at? So I think for our uh, our admin team, and, and uh, by the way, frame of reference. So uh, I was in Iowa City uh, before arriving in uh, the beautiful city of Green Bay. And uh, we actually were a Gaggle partner while we were down there. Uh, so it was interesting to find that they were already in, in process of adoption when I arrived up here uh, in July. Uh, and so I can I can speak to it from not just uh, nine months here, but but going back to pre-COVID. I don't know. Are we going to start referring to it that way? Is it pre-COVID? But uh, you know, in the land uh, before time, uh, one of the things that that uh, helps our building admin team is again that refinement of that filter, so they understand what things they ought to be focusing on, where there are challenges for their kids, and then working on protocols for response because that's just as important. What do we do next? We know what to do on the playground and we know what to do in the classroom. And, and of course, so many of these things now are happening off school property. So what does that look like? Where is our interaction with local law enforcement, with child protective services, with other folks out there that also serve to help our children outside the school day? And so, you know, that's a big part of the protocol development and figuring out how those things link together. I mean, Gretchen knows this. I think I can say this. If not, she'll cut me off. But, you know, we had an incident uh, shortly after implementation here where we literally had a house fire. And uh, we were alerted to that through the program and not something we would have known about uh, happening outside of school. So, you know, one of the questions then gets asked, well, where does our responsibility for kids end? It probably doesn't. Right. So we're serving kids. You know, we know that uh, our expectation for services continue to evolve over time. And so it, it's they're getting the assistance that they need from local law enforcement, local fire department, as they they struggle through that particular challenge that that family had. Wow, um, it's tough stuff. It's it, there's a new sort of burden it seems on districts to keep kids safe. 
as we learn more about mental health, as we learn more about some of the trauma that, that kids are experiencing when they're not in school. And, or, you know, Lavelle Brown talks a lot about the trauma they might experience when they come back because school, because home was a very comfortable place. So, you know, I'm curious, you know, how do you, how do you think about this heading into the great comeback next year and engaging parents and community in this discussion? What do you think will be different once we, God willing, get all the kids back on campus every day? Oh, I'm going to steal that term, the great comeback. I like that. So, you know, I think that one of the things that, that we're seeing, because we just came back, so we're coming off a of spring break right now. Our secondary students were only in school for a week, our elementary for two weeks before we went to spring break. So for us, we're just starting to bring the kids back. And I think what we're seeing right now is what we are all going to see across the country next fall, which is a different kind of start to the school year, because it's going to bring a different adjustment for students and parents to the classroom. It, it will never have a start to the school year like we used to have, right? Expectations have just changed. And, and so part of that is understanding that for many parents, uh, that issue of safety and security, which may have been further down their list of priorities in the past, is much higher on the list whether it's the, the physical safety and security and the COVID protocols that we're using right now, or what their expectations will be for us to maintain that physical health and safety when their kids come to campus next fall. So I think it's in, in, uh, inherent uh, in our planning for next year, and it's really an imperative for us um, as we're planning, um, is to make sure that we are visibly sharing with parents the work that we are doing to help keep their children safe, both physically at school and in this online environment, which again, is not going away. It's just another tool that we use for working with our kids. So being very, very upfront with that um, and helping them understand how, where, and what we're doing, what the tools are that we have access to, what that allows us to do for their, their children. I think that that's going to be even more important moving forward. When I think you have to think of like a routine too, Doug, right? So, you know, when the pandemic happened from our end of things, we had so many districts that were reaching out because they were deploying one-to-one devices and Gago being device agnostic, you know, we're looking at their chat rooms, their email, their drive, um, working with, you know, LMS canvas, right? So we're able to, you know, really identify when these kids are communicating in those environments. That being said, when you deploy one-to-one devices, which is, a smart thing to do because that's how they're going to be able to learn, right? That's that's the whole idea is that they have a tool to be able to communicate with when you're in a virtual environment and not knowing what's going to happen moving forward. And when they're going to come back to school, you know, for us to see an increase of 55% of these kids using their devices in the evening, early morning hours indicates that they've changed their routine and their pattern as well, right? They know that they can turn their lessons on later on at night, which means that they're also going to be communicating into the darker hours of the night. And sometimes that breeds bad conversations or sad conversations. And so, you know, coming back onto campus, you know, the one thing that I always say is it's never been that these kids are not communicating in their district digital tools. A lot of times they're crying for help and they want someone to reach out to them and they're hoping that someone's paying attention. Right. But even more so now they've adjusted their routine they're staying up later, which is what none of us ever want, whether you're a parent or an educator, you want them to go to bed, you want them to rest. They're staying up later because they can, they're sleeping in more 
in the early morning hours, right? And now they're coming back to school and they have to readjust just like we all have to readjust. But that doesn't mean that they're going to readjust their communications. And if they do readjust their communications, I'll take you back to a year and a half ago where we were seeing unbelievable amounts of incidents, regardless of whether they were in the brick and mortar or not. The fact is kids communicate best in technology versus face-to-face. We encourage them with district digital citizenship and that one-to-one to be able to talk to us a lot of times after we have identified something that is a problem so that you can have those healthy conversations because they just really communicate more in technology. It is what it is. That is their safe spot, right? So Yeah, and you know, it's interesting. More and more of IEI's partners, particularly those founded by younger people, are choosing our virtual options versus our in-person, right? They prefer it. This is a, a trend. It's one that I think confounds Gen Xers like me, but um, you know, we're kind of in the middle, so we got to roll with it. Do you, do you all have, Gretchen, do you all have demographic info that you can share about you know, what sort of users or what sort of kid users are more active on district devices versus not? Because I'm guessing that for some, the only device they're going to get that's kind of high powered might be from the district, depending on their sort of socioeconomic status. Whereas wealthier families, kids might have personal devices where they can go do all sorts of dastardly things and then they can keep it clean on the school one. You know, do you do you know a little bit about your user base and how has that changed this year? So from a demographic, I mean, that's something that I would have to pull, Doug, um, and would be happy to share with you if you want to share it with some of your users. You know, we have a, a guy that has come in that is phenomenal as far as data pull, and he's doing a lot of cross-checking for us on that because we've been asked that. You know, I can tell you it's it's not about demographic all the time as far as who has usage and who does not, right? A lot of people can say, oh, the wealthier families, they have more, you know, digital tools. They have more access to their own personal device versus getting a one-to-one device from the school. The fact of the matter is when you think about children going onto social media or being able to communicate in a private way, essentially, where they're hiding from us, but not from each other, um, it really it really does not matter as far as how they're communicating. We see all sorts of different things. The fact of the matter is if a child's in trouble, we're going to know about it because at some point they're going to spill the beans in technology. If a child is being naughty or is be cyberbullying someone else, we're going to know about it, right? But when you think about the fact that your average middle schooler has six Instagram accounts, you need to have an email and a password to get an Instagram account. You're going to run out of, you know, different emails and passwords. Eventually, you're going to use the district because they don't want to be left out. They want to have that rapid communication with another peer. And so that is a lot of times where districts are horrible. I don't think I don't think now so as much. I think districts have now come to the realization that, yes, their students are going to be using their digital communication and per their acceptable use policies, which is what every district that I can think of has in place to make sure that they are following proper order and that their parents understand that they are being protected and safe in a digital environment, the kids are using their district digital tools. And so the fact of the matter is, I think now so more than anything, it's not because we've doubled in size. We've certainly had a lot more larger districts come on board because they've needed our help to protect their students, especially with one-to-one deployment. But I I will be interested as well in, in seeing more of that, but I can tell you for sure, they just want to be heard and they just want to be present. And that is why they communicate sometimes not in the best ways. Yeah. Um, I will tell you my, my favorite story of this week. It really touched me. And it's, it's not a, a horrible 
suicide self-harm story that that often I have to share that that hurts my heart when I share it with districts because it's true. The stuff that we see every single day is really, really tough, right? Just like the story that Steve shared, right? Those, those That family was taken care of. And that is a huge win for all of us, right? That is the partnership where we all can celebrate that win and that we know that those children are safe. But I can tell you one thing that just really touched me this week was a young man that was journaling and saying, you know, my friend is suicidal. I can't continue to keep trying to help. I've reached out as much as I can. I'm always that person that lifts up and tells someone and tries to make it better. And I just can't keep doing it. Like at this point, I have to step off and disengage because like, it's not my job anymore. Like, I just don't feel like anyone's listening. Well, you know what? Yago was listening. He finally put it to paper. And we were able to not only share it with the district and have that district say to him, buddy, you did a great job. Now we know, and we're going to help your friend. But the fact that he was heard and that the district wouldn't have known otherwise, you know, it wasn't a situation where it was that child writing a suicide note. It was a friend saying, I can't do anything else. I'm out of different ideas. And I'm just a little kid. Right. And we were able to help. So, I mean, that for me is what this is all about. Right. Them actually using the voice and being heard in so many different ways. That's great, thanks for sharing that. On the flip side, how do you deal with, or do you get concerns about Big Brother, right? Because does anybody ever, you know, and this goes back to community engagement, parent engagement, like you must have to at least, when you first say, oh, we're gonna be reading everything that kids put in the devices, there's probably somebody who goes, "Uh uh-oh, privacy, how do you handle that? So there's never a time that I don't have a district ask that of us. Um, you know, I, I definitely discuss deliberate indifference. Um, that is something that is at top of mind for me. Um, I'll let Steve take this though, because I'm sure he's had the questions. Um, I know he's had the questions multiple times. I always, I always end up saying, you know, let's, let's talk about acceptable use policy too. Deliberate indifference and acceptable use policy. But Steve, you're the boss. Sure. So uh, I know that that came up when I was in Iowa City and we were going through adoption down there. There was a, a great deal of concern about what we were listening to and what we were listening for and what was going to happen with what we heard. And, you know, Gretchen knows this because it uh, probably one of her longer adoption cycles with us uh, down there. But uh, it, there was a lot of need for reassurance um, with parents in terms of what the intentionality was behind Uh, the reason that we were using the tool. And that's understandable. You know, I mean, we live in a world where people are more and more uh, concerned, uh, increasingly so perhaps because of big tech out there and what they're doing with your data. And, you know, if you're not the, if you're not paying for it, uh, you are the product. Uh, And, and so I, you know, there's a lot of concern about data gathering and, and where that's going. And, so I think for parents, it's it's really understanding the intentionality behind it. And sometimes you have to go slow and you have to walk them through that. And you have to, they have to see examples of it. And they have to understand how it's going to work uh, in school. And then you have to roll it out. And uh, that trust, you know, is, is you build that kind of one brick at a time there. And sometimes they need to see it in action in order to understand that you really do have positive intentionality behind it. When it's and the other piece to that too, you know, it's always interesting and, and fair, you know, we're, we're all parents, right? So that being said, those are questions that should be asked, that parents should be asking. We want to protect our kids. We want to know why the school's monitoring their kids. It's really getting through to the point to say, look, we're monitoring the district issued digital tools. 
which is what you want us to be protecting and what you sign off on in order to be able to allow them to learn. And in their learning, oftentimes we are going to see things that will actually help them from a digital citizenship standpoint. The thing that is always blows me out of the water and it, it has to happen. It's, it's, you know, it's the same thing that we always hear for nine great things. There's always one negative thing, right? And when there is a wonderful, great thing, which isn't so great when it's happening, but after the fact, you have a child that is saved, similar to a nine-year-old that we had a couple weeks ago that was um, actually being um, communicated with within the school district from a predator. You know, I get a call from the district and the instructional technology director says, you saved one of our babies today, Gretchen. She was nine years old. She had given him her address. She was ready to go, did not understand that he was an adult male. And we were watching all of this and trying to figure out where he was at, right? And we were able to help them and help the school district identify where this person was asked, protect her, not have any images coming in or out that would be inappropriate. And, and that was a win, right? And the parents are so thankful. Those are the same parents that a lot of times are asking the questions from the get-go and pushing back. But when that child is saved and they know that we've made a difference, they're our biggest advocates, right? Because they saw it from beginning to end and what happened and how we all work together to make sure that at the end of the day, that child was safe. And so it's, you know, it's slippery in the, in the start, but then when, when everybody starts to see how it works, we get unbelievable positive parent feedback. We really do. Right. And I think like everything, transparency and communication will help build the trust up front. And then those anecdotes locally and the ones you share from other places, I'm sure help. Um, so I want to, pivot a little bit to where I started this discussion and, and wrap up with it because it's been coming up a lot. Um, for those of you out there who are not aware, we've been doing on Tuesday evenings, and Steve Murley's been part of them, we do um, these Tuesday evening soup chats on the Clubhouse app, which is currently only available for iPhone by invite only. I understand they're going to Android soon and they will be ex expanding beyond just the whole invite thing. But the folks on there have come with interesting ideas and questions for our group and we responded to them. Last night we had, uh, we invited people to come and quote unquote pitch the group an idea. So we had about five or six soups on to listen to those ideas and provide feedback. And there, there's been a theme, not just in the little pitch fest last night, but you know, each week when people come and ask questions that there's a theme around, um, nice to have versus need to have. And, you know, I want us to maybe put our advisor hats on now and think about, you know, we have a lot of folks in the industry and vendors who, who listen to this podcast. The comment came out specifically last night. You know, a couple of people were kind of bringing ideas around some supplemental areas of instruction. Like one was about um, language acquisition that, you know, there was sort of the reaction, like right now, I can't even think about that. That's not a priority, right? And you feel bad for this for this company because they've built probably this lovely, really effective tool for helping with language acquisition and just timing is everything, right? And then there's also this, this piece where it seems suddenly everybody's got an SEL solution. And so districts are wading through hundreds and hundreds of potential SEL solutions and then solutions that have been around forever have been sort of rethinking their or recrafting their message to be an SEL solution. So it becomes this tidal wave. Gaggle has succeeded, if I may say on your behalf, you have succeeded because you have managed to craft a message that is about how you're an essential tool for the survival of kids. There is nothing more important than the safety of the children. And you've built a tool that accomplishes 
that goal and you're very targeted in your messaging around it when you talk to superintendents at IEI when you're on social media etc and it's I think you've you've really put on a clinic for folks about how to get to the heart of the matter and show describe the problem describe the solution and describe why it's a problem that needs to get solved what what can either of you share with colleagues in the industry about how they should approach this moment there is this sense that, you know, ooh, the districts are about to get rich on CARES Act money and they're going to be just throwing purchase orders out like biscuits to a dog, right? There, there is that element happening out there. And then we're in the context of this week when, you know, we've been we've been told yet again that, that school districts are wasting their money on technology. So there are yet this, this same element of our industry is also pumping venture capital money into the next new SEL thing. And they're coming to the districts to try to build a business, right? So how can you help folks out there listening prepare their pitch to a district, build their messaging, especially companies that are small and, and getting started, to, to focus on the problem and solution and on why what you're doing solves an urgent need? So I would say from, from the partner vendor end of things, the thing that is most important, you know, it's so funny that we're talking about pre-post pandemic. You know, the work that we put in, and Doug, you you know our services. I mean, Steve can speak on behalf of this, right? With Gaggle specifically, it is such a family, privately owned company-minded group. We put the work in every day in order to be able to put our money where our mouth is, right? So, so from that angle, think of the fact that it's one thing to say, this is what we do. This is how we do it. This is why we do it. It's another thing to be able to prove that. And that's one thing that I would definitely recommend for, for other vendor partners out there is you can say all day long that this is how your services work, but find a way to give someone a proof of concept or find a way to provide a scope of work to be able to identify that that in fact is true. Use your references, use your advocates that can speak on your behalf and share you know those stories with them and ask your advocates to actually step up and make a call for you. Say, you know, I need your help. There's nothing wrong with asking someone that is your user that believes in you for help. Um, The worst thing that they can do is say no. And I'll tell you nine times out of 10, if I ask for help, my advocates, because we work really hard for them and we've proven that, will definitely step up and say, sure, I don't mind making a call for you. I believe in what you're doing. And I think so-and-so should too. Um, And so that's that's something that I would recommend from our end of things is, is saying versus doing is really, really something to think about. You can say something all day long, but figure out a way to do it and to show those districts that are interested, that are allocating unbelievable amounts of money to believe in your service, that you're going to stand by them and you're going to show them that it is a provided value. Thank you, Gretchen. And I want to, before I go to Steve, I want to underline something for people listening. Gaggle is essentially a bootstrapped company. It's a bootstrapped company very far along. There's no venture capital behind it. It's one of the most successful stories in ed tech. It doesn't make the ed tech rags, sorry, the ed tech publications. It doesn't get discussed a lot about, you know, oh, great exit by by this or that company. That's what kind of gets covered by our press, which is fine. That makes sense. There's no exit for Gaggle imminent that I'm aware because the ownership of the company is building a company they're going to they're going to continue to own and grow and develop and they're building new verticals and all that stuff. I don't want to toot Gaggle's horn too much, but you know I, I love working with you guys. But I say this because when you look at success stories, don't just read about the VC exits. Those are great too, but read about the companies who are bootstrapping. And as you're if you're at the stage where you're trying to figure out how to fund your company, right? 
trying to figure out how to grow. Look at Gaggle and think about bootstrapping. And by the way, these folks, especially their CEO, Jeff Patterson, one of the most approachable people on LinkedIn, if you pop into one of his comments or mentions and ask, hey, can I, you know, can I ask you a question? He'll probably respond back. And so these are accessible folks who care deeply about this business and about our colleagues in the industry. So as you're thinking through funding models, there are many different ways to go. Bootstrapping, friends and family, angels, venture capital, and there are a lot of successful companies who who do it the bootstrap way, and Gaggle's one of them, and it's kind of cool. So and and build your find your mentors, find your people, have conversations. That's where you're going to learn from others in the industry that have have been in multiple companies, have started their own company, have retired and sold. Those are the people that are going to be able to tell you what worked and what didn't work for sure. All right, Steve, take us home with some advice for all these folks who are hustling out there so hard. I think one of the biggest problems is that, and and I, I actually, let me reframe it. It's not a problem. It's a challenge. So uh, when you are a, a company, whether you're established or startup, right, you have a solution that that you know solves a problem. The challenge is finding somebody else for whom that's a problem, known or unknown. And And too often I see crossing my desk, what appear to be solutions in search of a problem, right? Now, I'm not saying that I don't have that problem, but I may not recognize that I do. If I don't know that I have the problem, whether I, uh, whether I actually do have it or not, but if I'm not aware that it is a problem, it's awfully tough to sell me your solution. And so on my end, you know, there's a, I know from my colleagues, there's just a great deal of frustration with the inundation of pitch that comes from partners. And I understand that, you know, you have to do that. That's part of the the marketing process, but it can be really hard to figure out when you do discover that you have a problem, how to wade through that and find a solution that fits your needs. So most of us turn to trusted colleagues, whether they're industry partners or whether they are superintendent partners, but we are looking for somebody who's tried something and it's worked. It shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone. You know, you want to buy a new car. You ask people, how do they like the cars they drive right now? Right? Someone tells you that thing's a piece of junk. You don't go look at it. Someone tells you best car I ever bought. Haven't spent a nickel in maintenance on it. They go to the top of your list. Right? But they may tell you, hey, that thing doesn't tow very well. Oh, I got a boat. That is off my list. Right? Because it doesn't meet my problem. So I think that uh, one of the things that that partners need to understand, and, and I always talk about those partners, you're not just selling something to someone and then walking away because they need to understand that that follow-up partnership is probably better marketing than anything their PR department is ever going to develop because the word of mouth that comes from the satisfied customer for me, speaking only for me here, but that word of mouth satisfaction that I get from either colleagues or other business partners who have worked with a business partner is worth far more than anything that shows up in my email inbox or my U.S. mail, anything I see on a vendor floor when I'm walking around at a conference. So, you know, really, truly developing partnerships with your clients is a form of a form of marketing that I'm not sure all those in the industry recognize. Thank you, Stephen. And I would say to those who don't, first of all, know who you're who you're talking to as well. So, Steve Murley, Superintendent of Green Bay Public Schools in Wisconsin is here saying that he wants to talk to his other colleagues. When Steve says it, I know he means colleagues anywhere. 
when some district leaders say it, they might mean because there are a lot of district leaders who never who uh, who don't travel to events, don't go to national events like ours or others. So if they when they say it, they're saying that they're going to go call the people in their county or something, right? So understand what they what they mean when they say that. Make sure you're with the people that matter to them. And if not, it's the whole you know a lot of companies get started with New York City or L.A. selling school to school and then it can be hard to make the leap. You know, there's a lot of work you got to do to get to the district. The district that borders New York City in, in Nassau County, probably not so moved by what's happening across the line in New York City. Charter schools may not help move a district, right? Just understand those contexts. And then the other thing I want to share that I know um, Steve believes in others in our group, if you don't yet have any relevant reference customers they can talk to, then show up and be ready to say, if you think this can help, what do you need me to do to work with you? Our folks love to get into, you know, thinking through new ways of showing data on a report or, you know, help work with them. Be ready to listen and understand what, what you need to do to get in there. If it's move the price to a certain point to get under an RFP threshold, whatever it is. I can't uh, emphasize that enough. But for companies, you know, I spend all week long, I'm, I'm on Zooms with companies that are at very various stages. Some of them are pre-revenue or, or have one district or something. And, you know, all I can say is if you... If you come to an event like ours or something else and you just show a willingness to work and listen, even if you have no reference customers, you're more likely than not to find a couple of partners. And, you know, shameless plug moment here. We are, IEI provides the lowest cost through our hybrid virtual model, the lowest cost and I believe highest ROI opportunity for a company with few to no reference customers to build those relationships. So it's, this is no longer a thing that only large companies can afford. Small companies can afford to come and do this and be part of it because with virtual, you can stay home. You don't have to lose a couple of days out of the office or away from your family or away from your employees or whatever. So it's a, a really easy way to get in the door and those relationships matter. Steve. And I'd say too, the other thing is when I come to IEI, I come with a completely open mind and I recognize that, you know, the old Johari window, right? I don't know what I don't know. And so we all have those blind spots. And so one of the things that I like in interacting with the partners at IEI is I like listening to their solution, which isn't a pitch at me, right? It's just a description of what their solution is. That allows me to look at it differently and say, hey, does that live in my blind spot? Is that actually a need that I have? And if so, how do I go about resolving that? Might be this partner, might not be, might be today, might be tomorrow. But, you know, one of the, the things that I find of, of greatest benefit of, of being at IEI is to reduce the don't know what I don't know chunk of my life. I appreciate that, Steve. I didn't mean to make this about us. I just, I guess I'm shot out of a cannon today. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, hope I didn't get in too much trouble with our industry today. I think we're going to leave it there. Gretchen, any final final words? No, I'm just, I'm pretty stoked that I got to hang out with y'all today. That's fun. Same. Always appreciate it. And uh, we won't see you in person at the next one, Steve, but maybe this summer, right? Is that that where we That's are? That's right. I got to be in a tuxedo, which I don't know. I'm going to struggle to get into it after the uh, the COVID-20 uh, here, but uh, we've got a black, a black we'll tie event for you. teachers. We'll be time, you, Steve. <laughs> Great to talk with you two always. Thanks for being on. We appreciate it. Thank, Thank you. you. All right.